Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's so good to uh, be together this weekend. Uh, when you came in, you were supposed to get a little white card. You're going to need those. I'll explain those a little bit. Those of you at home, you can still do this. Go get a piece of paper or a card. Have it handy with you. You're going to need that in a little bit. Uh, I came across a story uh, years ago, and it always stuck with me because it's just uh, interesting. Um, I don't know if you remember Billy Martin. He was the manager of the Yankees for a long time, and, and he wrote an autobiography book, and he tells in this book a story of him hunting with Mickey Mantle, okay? So these guys go out to Billy Martin's uh, friend's ranch. They're going to do some hunting out there, and so he goes up, and, he, and Billy Martin's in the car or the truck, and he, he goes up to the door. Uh, Mickey Mantle, he left in the He goes up to the door, and he says to his friend, hey, we're here. Is it still cool that we go hunting? The guy says, yeah, no problem. Help yourself. And like, there's thousands of acres. Go have fun. And uh, he goes, oh, you know what? One thing. He said, um, I've got this old mule down in the barn, and it's losing its sight, and it's getting sick. And he goes, I just don't have the heart. Could you take care of that for me? And Billy Martin's like, no problem, man. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. So they uh, get back in the truck. So like Billy Martin goes down there. Mickey Mantle's in the truck. He gets in the truck, but he acts now all mad and upset. He gets in the truck and he slams the door. And he goes, what's going on? He goes, yeah, that guy's like, I've hunted here a hundred times. And he, he says, no way today. I'm going to show him. And so he drives down to the barn in a huff and he grabs his rifle and he runs into the barn and he shoots the mule. Like the whole time Mickey Mantle's going, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. But as soon as he shoots the mule, he hears two more shots. He runs out of the barn and Mickey Mantle's there with his gun. He goes, I got two of his cows. Let's go. True story. Some of you are like, no, it's not. Yeah, it is. Like, anger is contagious. If you've missed the last couple of weeks, we're, we're calling this series The Love Bank, and we're really talking about ways that we make either withdrawals or deposits in the key relationships in our life. And I'm going to tell you right now, and you probably already know this, anger is at the root of so many of the wrong things that we say and so many of the wrong things that we do. It's what gets us into trouble, and it just piles up all those withdrawals. I know some people, uh, when they get married, they're thinking, man, we're so much in love. I, I can't even imagine not being in love. I don't know how we'd ever get there. How would you ever get there? And then you talk to somebody who maybe has been married for a while, but they're not in love anymore. And they're like, I don't know if we could ever get back there. Both directions seem kind of impossible at one time. But the reality is you can have love again. You can have hope again in a relationship that seems like it's gone down the tubes because love and hope and, and all the things that we're talking about in this series really do overcome discouragement and despair and disappointment and all those kind of things. So Ephesians chapter 4 kind of is a, the lead verse for us this week. I'm going to give you a bunch of verses from Proverbs and a bunch of stories, and we're going to wind up in back in Ephesians 4. But Ephesians 4 verse 26 and 7 says this, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Well, what, what does a foothold look like? Well, it kind of looks like anger as a, as a deceitful force, right? So sometimes, like, we're so upset, we're so angry, we forget even the reason that we're angry. We're, we're forgetting the whole circumstance, the whole situation. Sometimes anger is so, so cunning, it actually deceives us, and it, it makes us think that, you know, this whole thing was somebody else's fault. Even the losing of our temper was really somebody else's fault. Like, that's what anger does. It, it twists reality. And it forces some things to happen in a family that usually winds up in some major withdrawals. 
There's a pastor by the name of Ed Roll, and he talks about a, a true story where a family in a, in a farm community with a lot of kids uh, all eventually got very, very sick. Some of the kids died. Some of the kids wound up with permanent brain damage. And so they had an investigation, found out that the dad had found some grain, some corn, that had been treated and wasn't supposed to be used, but he got it and fed it to his pigs. It didn't affect the pigs at all, but when the pigs became breakfast for that family, over time, the effect of that poison uh, killed and injured permanently some of the members of that family. And I was just reading that story, and I'm thinking, like, that's, that's what anger does. Sometimes it just sits below the surface. You don't even see that it's there. It's just there. But it's like a poison, and it continues to take us down, and it takes down the relationships that mean so much to us. I think every day, maybe, we ingest a certain amount of disrespect and disloyalty in, in different kinds of ways. And, and if that's the case, and then over time, that builds up over time, that definitely has an effect on us. Listen carefully to this. Uh, unresolved anger has multi-generational ramifications. And maybe you grew up in a home where anger was kind of out of control, and you know exactly what I mean. You still feel the effects of that. So what I want to do, I want to give you three questions, three steps, if you will, that we just have to wrestle with ourselves. Because sometimes it's easy to say, yeah, that person has an anger problem. We can spot those people right away. But I want us to make sure that we're dealing with the anger that may be going on inside of us, even if we don't even sense it or feel it right now. There, there may be something there. So we need to ask ourselves some questions. Question number, number one is this, or step one is ask yourself why. Like, like why am I angry after all? Because sometimes you don't know the real reason. Maybe you're, you're mad at your dog, but you're, just, you're not really mad at your dog. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're mad at your kids, you're mad at your wife, but really it was something that happened somewhere else at another place. Even years ago, it's like all of a sudden this thing has is, is erupted in us. Like why? One little kid is just sitting on the curb. He's really distraught, really sad. And he's sitting next to this lawnmower, and this, this pastor's out riding his bike. I mean, that sounds like a really cool pastor to me. But anyway, he's out riding his bike, and he, he stops, and he sees this little boy, and he sees this moment to kind of help this little kid, and he recognizes him. And so he goes up to him and goes, hey, um, is there a problem? He goes, yeah, I can't get this thing to start. And he goes, how about, how about we just trade for a while? You take the bike, I'll take the lawnmower. He's thinking, I could start a lawnmower. He was like this, but this kid needs a break. You know, so I'm giving my bike. So the kid takes off on the bike. A few hours later, the kid comes back on the bike, and the pastor's really aggravated. He goes, I can't get this thing to work. And the little boy says, you got to cuss it, pastor. You got to cuss it. And he goes, young man, I, I, I don't speak like that. I, I, like, I've, I've been a pastor a long time. I kind of left that language in the past. And he, he says, you keep cranking it, pastor. It'll come back. <laughs> It'll keep coming back. Like that cussing thing, it's going to happen again, right? Why? Because certain things just make us angry. And sometimes it's a lawnmower. Most of the time, it's, it's a person. It's a person. In fact, is I might be angry at the lawnmower, but the reality was it goes back 12 years earlier. There's something that happened with somebody else, and that anger's just been sitting there, and finally I take it out on the lawnmower. But there's a book I highly recommend by uh, a pastor author named Andy Stanley. Some of you older ones, you remember Charles Stanley. This is his son, Andy Stanley, one of my favorite writers, actually. Uh, so easy to read and makes so much sense. 
The book originally was called It Came From Within. I'm old. That's the book I have. Now they've redone it. It's called Enemies of the Heart. And it really talks about, I think it's four key things, like anger is one of them, envy, jealousy, those kinds of things. Things that eat us up on the inside. But his explanation of anger was something like I've never seen before. And it made so much sense. And, and, and after decades of ministry and dealing with people and working through issues and problems, I'm just like, I'm seeing faces as I'm reading this going, that, that's why they felt that way. That's why they were so angry. That's why they were so upset. And he basically boils it down to this. He says, when you're angry at someone, it's because of this. And here's the line. You owe me. The reason I'm angry is because you owe me. Now, sadly, I know people who are angry because somebody robbed them of their innocence or their purity when they were a kid. I know people who, uh, who were owed where they feel like something that was taken from them, like it, it could have been a, a relational you know, break, or they, they, they walked away from that, that marriage that you had hoped. You're like, you, this, this is the marriage that I'm going to have for life. And then they, they messed it all up. They had an affair. They walked away. Like, you, you owe me that, that marriage I wanted. You owe me that, that happiness I wanted. And so the reason we're anger, angry is because somebody took something from us, and, and, and now we're angry, right? So... You don't have to do it yet, but that's what this is going to be for. You're going to put a name on here before we're done. And you might be just thinking about that. Maybe nobody comes to mind right away. Some of you are like, oh, yeah. You're, you're like, you're done. You don't, you don't have to write it down now. And by the way, I'm just going to give you a heads up. We're, we're not going to look at these. You're going, to, you're going to turn them in, but nobody's going to look at them. We're just going to throw them away when we're done. The exercise is for you. It's not for us to decipher handwriting and figure out your dark, deep secrets. Those of you at home are like, yeah, but what do I do with it? Just throw it away when you're done. But that's what this is for. We're going to put a name on here. And if that still freaks you out, like use a code name. We're not going to read them, right? But it's just, it's just for you. We'll get there in a little bit. I, uh, <laughs> I heard of a story. It's like the, nearly 100 years old. Some of you young ones know I was not there, right? Uh, in the 1930s, in uh, Chicago Herald Examiner, there was a story about a guy in Indiana. His name was Harry. I can't remember his whole name. His name was Harry, but I remember this. He was mad at his wife. And so to get back at her, what he did was, he says, I don't ever want to see you or anyone else again. And he went to bed, put a blindfold on, and stayed there, I know this is crazy, for seven years. See, I thought women were good at the silent treatment. It's like a blindfold in bed for seven years. And the reporter literally asked him, because now he's not in the bed, and he said, why did you finally get out of the bed? He goes, it just wasn't comfortable anymore. That is the dumbest story I've ever heard, but it was true. In the 1930s, a guy went to bed with a blindfold for seven years. Man, you have to be pretty mad to do that, right? And we, we don't even know the whole backstory. I know it was probably in that article, but it's like, does it really matter? Seven years? We, we hang on to stuff like this for years, and sometimes we are silent about it, and sometimes we don't go to bed and put a blindfold on. We act as though nothing's wrong, but below the surface, something's still wrong. And every now and then, it's going to come, it's going to hurt, and that, that outburst, by the way, is very uniquely targeted to bring pain on someone else. 
and, and maybe you've noticed this too, sometimes the one that I really unleash my outburst on is not the person I'm most mad at. Have you seen that? How many times has it happened when somebody says, I'm so sorry, I, I, I didn't want to do that? It's like the reality was they're still mad at a parent or an uncle or, or somebody in their past, like 20, 30, 40 years. That person is probably dead and gone, but that, that still is in there. It's still there. Like you, you owed me. And they, they can't take it out on them, so it comes out on somebody else. Proverbs 18, 19, listen to this. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. Angry outburst equal withdrawals and the way we're talking about it. Listen to this quote I found, and, and I really tried to find out who said it first, and there's several people on Google that take credit for this quote. It's that good, so I don't know who said it first. Speak when you're angry, and you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. Yeah, I've been there. It was a hot, humid day in Kansas City. If you've ever been to Kansas City in the summer, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The veteran bus driver had been doing his thing for a few decades, and it was near the end of his shift, but this lady gets on, and she is angry. She just obliterates the entire bus with all kinds of profanity that can't be repeated, and he's kind of watching in his mirror every now and then as he's trying to drive the next destination, and he can see everybody feels uncomfortable on the entire bus. Few stops down, she begins to get off, and, and she takes her step onto the sidewalk, and he says, "Excuse me, ma'am, I think you've left something." She goes, "Like what? What did I leave?" And he said, "A bad impression." <laughs> yeah, you know what's the? I've probably done it myself. Like leave a bad impression with complete strangers, but leaving a, a bad impression with the people that we love the most, that inflicts the most pain. Right? So we need to ask ourselves, like, why am I so angry? We, we got to ask that. We got to get to the reason. We got to get to the core of that because it may not be the thing that's going on right now. It may be something that happened in the past. So that's what we got to deal with. Step two is ask yourself, like, what? What? Like, well, what does my anger do? Uh, one nurse uh, from an operating room said she had a night that she will never forget. She said uh, two people came in, both wounded. And then she heard the story. He was a, like Mr. Fix-It kind of guy around the house. And he loved just fixing things and just repairing things and making sure everything's right. But his wife told him she didn't like the way he fixed one of the things and it ticked him off, so he shot her in the arm. Not to be outdone, she went to the other room, got the shotgun, shot him in the arm. No joke. So she says, I'm literally doing the paperwork and I hear something, I'm going to quote, I hear something that you would only hear out of a country western song separated by a deputy sheriff and handcuffed to their perspective, respective stretchers, the husband began, I love you, baby, and I'm sorry I shot you. The wife responded, I love you too, baby. I'm sorry I shot you. Like, that's, that's what we mean by a country song, right? People in anger, like, yeah, maybe we don't all just grab a gun and start going at it, but man, this right here does a lot of damage, doesn't it? the things that we can say, and, and with the people that we love, we know exactly what's going to hurt the most. We can go for the jugular. So we've got we to gotta ask ourselves, like, what, what is my anger doing? Like, is it literally helping me get to where I want to be? 
Probably not. Proverbs 30, verse 33. As beating a cream yields butter and striking the nose causes bleeding and shooting someone in the arm causes bleeding. That's not in there. So stirring up anger causes quarrels. The first time I went to Cambodia, we, we do mission work there where we help plant churches and train pastoral leaders. Uh, the first time I went there was in the year 2000, a long time ago. I've been like three or four times, four times. Um, but the first time I went, uh, we, we went to some regions that, I'm, I'm not joking, I was probably the first bald white man they'd ever seen in, in some areas. And uh, we got to some of those areas on motorcycles, and we're just, we would kind of go into a, a village area, and the guy was with, everybody was with was Cambodian except for me. And so we would go into these villages, and they would strike up conversations. They would check on churches they'd already planted or whatever. So we were in one place at one particular time, and, and while we were driving in this particular day, we were just all piled into one truck. And so we had some people in the back of the truck, some people inside the truck. We're all like eight of us. We're all just packed in this little, like, Nissan Datsun truck, right? And so we're just driving through the country, and then they stop. And I said, okay, I don't know how to say this nicely. Um, it's, it's potty time. So, and, and I know this is crazy, mixed company and all, the ladies went in front of the truck, the guys all went to the back of the truck, and they said, we're going we're gonna to take a break. We've been in the car for a couple of hours, and I know that you have to, we, we, you know, I don't need to give you a lot of description, but if you've been drinking water, you're going to have to do something about that. And so they said, okay, but don't get off the road. So curious George here, like, well, how does this work? And they said, ladies in front of the truck, guys in the back of the truck. I said, why can't we get off the road, right? And they're like, well, landmines. Oh, okay, no problem. <laughs> no problem at all. It was a little bit of a problem, but it's like, I'm not going out there. Right. And in my, in my time there, and every time I've been there, I've met people who've lost legs, some during the war, but some since the war that ended in the mid-1980s. There was still conflict and things even after that, but those landmines were actually placed there in the early 80s. And every now and then someone, a, a child is killed or somebody loses a leg, those landmines are there. Well, what does that have to do with anger? What do you think? The stuff that we don't resolve, the stuff that we don't deal with, it just sits there and then it explodes. Not maybe on the person that we were upset with in the first place, but on our family now or on our friends now. Proverbs 25, 23 says this, as surely as a north wind brings rain, so a gossiping tongue causes anger. There's all kinds of things that can set us off, right? Proverbs 29.8, mockers can get a whole town agitated, but the wise will calm anger. And we've got, we've got to figure this out. So step three, ask yourself how. Like seriously, how do I deal with this? Like, is there any wisdom from the word of God on this? What do you think? Yes, there's tons of wisdom on this. So I'm just going to go straight to the source. Let's go back to Ephesians 4 now. Remember he says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't let the devil have a, a foothold. A couple of verses later, verse 31, he says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. I mean, that, that's the solution. Get rid of it. Now, that may be a little too simplistic, right? It's like, uh, yeah, how, right? Ron McManus said this, bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. 
See, some, sometimes we're still stuck on this person that we believe owes us. And maybe we could have a conversation with them. Maybe they would receive it. Maybe they would, they would apologize. You know, that, that happens sometimes. But a lot of times that person is gone or that person has no concern whatsoever about restoring the relationship. They just hurt us and they're gone. So how do I get rid of? Always? Again, if I just hang on to the bitterness, it's like drinking poison, waiting for them to die. But, but it's not going to hurt them. I, I think one of the things that we need most is Support. We need a support person. We need a support group. We need, we need and here's the, here's the word, we need accountability. Let me, let me give you another scenario. It has nothing to do with anger, but it does have to do with family and relationships. Years ago, I was uh, teaching in the Word of God, and part of the lesson was about um, the, the, the purity of the marriage bed. And we were just talking about that. And it's like, you know, sometimes, you know, people live together, but really in God's, we, we want to be, be married. You know, like sexual relations is reserved in the word of God for a man and a woman in the bonds of marriage. That, that's what it's for. And so I, I had taught about that and, and a couple called me and I said, hey, you know our situation. We've been living together for years. We, we both have kids. Some of them are grown and gone. We have a child together who's now like five years old at the time. And I said, we, we, we know we need to get married. Help us do this. So we, we, we set out on a course to help them. So in a few months, they got married. We, we had met with them, kind of worked through some things. And I, and I made a suggestion. I just like, I don't know what you guys think about this, but let's, let's try something. So why don't you call all of your adult kids to come back home, have a barbecue, sit them down, and just say, because this is what they had said to me. So I'm, just, I'm not putting words in their mouth. This is what they said to me. And let them know. The example they set was not the example they wanted to set. The, the more they know the Lord, this is what they should have done in the first place. They, they should have gotten married. And so they, they laid it out for all of their kids, like five or six of them. And again, the youngest one's like five. And some of them are grown. Some of them are already living with somebody else and have kids, right? So this is like a multi-generational thing now. And so they get their whole family together and they say, here's what's going to happen. We're going to get married. And, and in the next two months, until we get married, this, this was when the meeting happened, I said, we're not going to sleep together. In fact, mom's going to go to this bedroom, and I'll be in this bedroom, and, and until we get married, we're not going to be in the same bedroom. So you say, okay, what's the value of that? Well, it just, it just shared with their family. Like, this is what they were learning. This is what they were trying to do. But there was some, some accountability set up. So one morning, the dad, they told me this. This is, this is hilarious. The dad, one morning, gets up, comes out of his bedroom, goes in the kitchen, makes some coffee, gets two cups of coffee, goes into her bedroom, sits down on the edge of the bed, gives her a cup of coffee. They begin to talk. The five-year-old comes around. Oh, they're not supposed to be in there, right? You know what that's called, right? Accountability. Now, they were able to explain. They were just having a cup of coffee. But that, that five-year-old, they knew, like, Nope, you guys need to get out of there, right? So, so accountability, let's go back to the anger thing. Let's say, let's say you're working through something. You know you're going to need help. You, you know maybe you've been blowing your top a little too often lately. Like, tell somebody that you love and you trust, like, would you help me with this? Would you pray with me about this? Like, I, I can't do this on my own. How many of the changes in my life do I need to make that I can't do on my own? Like, most of them. I not only need God's help, but I need the family of God. To help me, I need that accountability. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8 says this. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. 
Same message, different church, same message, get rid of it. Proverbs 22, verse 24 and 25, don't hang out with angry people. Don't keep company with hot heads. Bad temper is contagious. Don't get infected. See, there's the positive side of the right people that we surround ourselves in that kind of accountability. But if we hang around hot heads, chances are we're just going to continue to blow our top and it's not going to be much, much help to us. John Krakauer in his book, Into Thin Air, talks about the true story of the guys that went to Mount Everest, and it was, it was a fatal trip for a few of them. One of the guys' name, his last name was Harris. Uh, he was past the deadline of when you're supposed to head back. And because of the lack of oxygen, he couldn't think straight. He's on the radio with his team, and they're telling him the oxygen tanks that people have left, there's oxygen in them. And he's looking at them, telling them, I see them, but they're all empty. But they weren't empty. He wound up dying right next to the tanks. Because, because in the lack of oxygen, he couldn't think straight. And even though they were telling him the truth, he couldn't hear it. He couldn't, he couldn't you know, really take what they were telling him. Another story I read this week, I'm just, I just looking at this stuff about anger, and I'm, all these stuff starts grabbing my attention. There's, there's a place in Fallon, Nevada. It's called the Arsenic Capital of the United States. And this story really came out about 2001, and they've been dealing with this, but there's more arsenic just in the natural water in this one city just outside of Reno than any other place in the United States. And then they, the people joke about it. It's like, it's arsenic. It's not bad unless you're used to it. That's what they say, right? Arsenic. It'll, it'll kill you. Like small doses, like very small doses probably won't do much, but, but over time it's going to have its effect. Like Proverbs 29, 11, fool, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. That stuff that we let stay here, Man, if we don't deal with it, we're just, we're just a fool because we know it's going to come out. We know it's going to erupt. We know it's going to wreak havoc on our family and our friends. There's a book called Connecting by Larry Crabb, talking about church and relationships. And he tells a story about a family, a friend of his that grew up in a family that was a really angry family. And uh, this is the kind of family where you wish they wouldn't have eaten around the table. But just go to your separate corners and just leave each other alone. But they said they would sit at the table together, and it was, just, it was just either mean or silent. It was just the weirdest thing. And this guy was telling Larry Crabb, this pastor, he was telling him, so when I was a kid, I would, I would, after dinner I would leave and I would go walking, and I found a house down the street, neighbors of ours, where I could hear the family laughing. And he didn't go in. He literally snuck underneath the front porch. And he could listen to the family. He could hear the dad laugh with his kids when somebody spilled some water. He's like, that would never happen in his home. It's like, I, I need, you need, we, we need to hear the father, you know, laugh with us when, when we blow it sometimes. Ephesians 4.31, let's go back to this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Okay, you got the card? Got your pen? We're going to get rid of this. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to forgive this person. The reason I say that is because we're going to keep reading. Verse 32, here it is. Be kind and compassionate to one another 
forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. How do I get rid of the bitterness, the rage, the anger? This, how do I get rid of it? As I forgive the, the way that God forgave me. So, again, bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. We're going to get rid of that stuff. It's just, it's just taking up space here, and it's just like poison. It's eating us alive, and it's just going to create more problems. So I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to dump that. And so here's our relational homework this week. And the reality is, some of these cases, the person who owes you, the person who has damaged you, the person who's inflicted this kind of pain on you, you may not ever have to be able to, you may not be able to have a conversation with them. Maybe they're gone. But you're still going to have to let it go. Get rid of it. So go ahead and write their name on there. You can fold it if you want, but write their name on there. Let me explain this a little further. Anger says, you owe me. Here's the essence of forgiveness. We cancel that debt. Did you catch that? You owe me, but in forgiveness, I cancel the debt. And here's the beauty of this. This is exactly what God in Christ Jesus did for us. He canceled the debt. I don't know who said it first, but I love it. I will never have to forgive anybody as much as God has already forgiven me. You know, maybe for the one or two things, maybe a series of, maybe years of things they did to me. But God has forgiven me for everything I've ever done. He canceled the debt. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. And in just a minute, we're going to take communion. And when you do, you're going to go and grab those cups. I'll explain this in a little bit. You're going to go, but you're going to take this on your way. And at every table, there's a basket or a box. Just take that. You put that in there cancel the debt, and you pick up your communion and go back to your seat. And we're going to walk through that. First, let me tell you the story that Jesus tells. So the king is serve, um, settling some issues with his servants. And one guy he calls in owes him, in our terms, um, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the guy can't pay. He says, please, I can't pay right now. And the king says, I'm going to put you in jail until you can pay. And the guy goes, please, 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 no, no, please, please don't. And the king says, you know what? I'm going to cancel the debt. You're forgiven. Don't worry about it. Jesus tells a story. He says the guy leaves the king's presence being completely forgiven, the debt canceled, and he goes out and defies the guy that owes him 20 bucks. And he goes, hey, you owe me 20 bucks. And the guy says, I, I can't pay right now. He goes, I'm going to throw you in prison. The guy says, please, 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 please don't. I said, I'll pay you. I promise I will. But no, the guy throws him in prison because he owes $20. Jesus tells the story and he says, the king finds out about it. What do you think the king is going to do to that guy? His debt of hundreds of thousands of dollars was wiped out, forgiven, canceled. And then he couldn't let one guy off the hook for 20 bucks. Um, when Jesus tells a story, he says he's going to be actually thrown back in prison and tortured until he can pay all of his original debt. You know the thing that started the whole conversation, the whole story? Peter asked the question. It's not a bad question. Hey, Jesus, by the way, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? And that's the story he tells. I've forgiven you way more than you're going to have to forgive anybody. So if I'm going to cancel the debt for you, you cancel the debt for them. So now as we get ready to take communion, I want you to think of that, like Jesus canceled the debt of your sin, my sin. 
as you walk towards those tables, just take this with you and you're going to get rid of it in the basket. You're going to get rid of the pain and what that person owes you. You're just going to cancel the debt and you're going to grab those two cups. There's the bottom cup has the, the bread. The top cup has the juice. Just take that back to your seat. I'm going to sing this song right now. And as we do, it give you a chance to do that. If you're at home, you can still do this with us. Again, you just drop this in the trash can on your way to go get your communion. That's fine too. But just get rid of it. Cancel that. And let's spend some time remembering that Jesus canceled the debt for us right now. Okay? You can go get those items. Take that car with you. It never fails me All my days I've been held in your hand From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head oh, I will sing Of the goodness of God All my life you have been symbols as reminders right now Jesus body and his blood you know, the title of this message was actually this lesson was actually anger or passion but I haven't talked about passion at all until now so I think passion is this 
this energy, like, like anger is an energy, passion is an energy, but it's, it's fueled by love, not somebody owes me something. And there's something special about the, the passion of Christ. That's what we call what he did for us on the cross. It's out of that, that passionate love for us, he gave his life. He canceled the debt of our sin by dying in our place. That, that's the kind of passion we need more of. And the Bible continually tells us, reminds us, Jesus laid down his life for us, then we ought to lay down our lives for each other. Think about that. Not, not in the sense of dying on a battlefield for someone, where maybe that's it, what has to happen at times. We're just all like daily dying to ourselves to make sure that our, our spouse, our family, our kids, our friends get the love and the attention that they need. That, let's use that kind of passion, the kind of passion that Jesus shows us. So with that bread in your hand right now, remember his body. Remember it nailed to a cross for you and take that right now. And with that cup, you remember the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there was, there was no canceling of our debt. It took the perfect, holy blood of Jesus, the, the Lamb of God. So take that blood right now. Take that cup and remember what Jesus did for you. Okay, put the cups down, would you? And stand with me. I'm going to pray for you. But I need you to start like this. Everybody's hands out. Make a fist. First thing we do, is we're going to get rid of the anger, the rage, all that stuff. Just open that hand. Just let that stuff go. And now as I pray, I want you to turn it over. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, your mercy for canceling the debt of our sin. God, we, we want not just to get rid of the, the poison and, and the, the pain, but God, we want to receive that blessing you for, for us so that we can pass that on to others. And we're going to leave our hands open because of that. So God, the goodness you place in our life, we're going to pass on. The grace that you've given us, we're going to pass on. The forgiveness that you've given us, we're going to pass on. In all these ways, God, bottom line, we're just going to be available to you to use us. Not just when we come to a worship service, but every day of our life, God. Hands open. God, give us what we need to make a difference and then we're just going to share it. In the name of Jesus we pray and everyone said, Amen.